Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to Regally, well, Regally, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. I am your king, <laughs> Nasser Pasha, and this is where we talk about, I, I, I'm so <laughs> off now. What are, <laughs> this is a podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. My name's Nasser Pasha. I'm Matt Staub. I thought I was on mute for a second. All sorts of off. <laughs> we're so off. <laughs> Horrible beginning, but uh, we're going to keep recording. We'll be fine. I think that's actually the first mistake we have ever had in this podcast, now that I think about it. It's not bad. Two hundred. This is a 250th episode, so one mistake every 250. I, I'll take that. It's a pretty good success rate. Did we forget to do something special for 250? Yeah. Of course. I just had lunch with a couple people, and they asked about the podcast. They did actually ask. I'm not making this up. <laughs> okay, yeah. I said, well, yeah, we're actually recording an episode. We're recording 250 later today, so it seemed pretty impressive when I said that to him but <laughs> not as impressive now that we're actually in it so 300 will be pretty big because that's your favorite movie mostly the second one though what is it 301 i don't know <laughs> is, there, is that a parody no there was no, there was a sequel to it it's it's horrible not that the first one's that great too i mean i think the first one you know didn't have much of a substance to it but it was kind of eye candy you know? <laughs> Well, so we, when we talk about employment law, we talk, we usually talk about the same few couple, few things. It's obviously employees and independent contractors, wrongful termination, discrimination, things like that. You know, what we're going to talk about today, I think is going to become a pretty big issue in the employment front. And I don't think it gets talked about too often. And maybe that's the reason that we just this past week or two weeks ago, the Department of Labor came out with this. It's it's not new law. It's really just an explanation or it's goes into more detail about the topic of joint employment, which I don't think many businesses are even aware of this outside of the ones that probably fit the idea. Maybe some of those. Even might if even... they're not aware of it, I think more and more businesses are entering this world. Yeah. And where the where these types of relationships kind of occur is where you have one person, an employee that has so-called loyalties or obligations or are being controlled by two different entities. And where that line is drawn and what, what kind of liability that's exposed is what really the Department of Labor has kind of shared their opinion on. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to s- describe it or to sum it up very briefly is when more than one business is involved in the work being performed by somebody and they might possibly have two different two separate employers and that's when the whole joint employment analysis comes into play this isn't a situation where you know i i have my normal nine to five job during the day and then i go moonlight at night working at a wherever burger king i was trying to pick somewhere that's open well i guess it's open late i don't know i don't know the last time i've been to burger king <laughs> <laughs> wait you, you do work at burger king don't you or? yeah i thought that's all you do on the in the evenings i always call you in your I always hear like uh, people talking in the background, like ordering fr- French fries. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's completely different because obviously the the owner of Burger King and the, or I should say, Burger King and the, and the other employer really have no relation to each other. So we're we're talking about real, true joint em- employment. And so the Department of Labor has 
And we'll talk about the significance of this in a second, but let's just figure out, okay, when is joint employment implied? And there are basically two scenarios, right, Matt? I mean, there's yeah. a horizontal and vertical type of joint employment. Yeah, and this is really what they're, I think this is their bit. Well, there's a couple things they had in this administrator's interpretation they put out. One of them was just saying, we have pretty broad scope here on what we're going to consider joint employment, which isn't no surprise. But the other one is really what you just talked about, this horizontal and vertical versions of this joint employment. And, and the way I sum it, look at it is horizontal is when you have an employee and they work for two related employers. So I think the classic example of this would be you have a person that works at a restaurant on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then they work at a related restaurant Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and we'll get into the details of this, but that's not necessarily looked at as two separate jobs. If going through this, I think it's seven, no, this this was nine factor tests they laid out. If there's a significant degree of relation between the two, they're going to be considered joint employers, and you know it's we'll, we'll get into the significance of that. But and another example of of that kind of horizontal relationship is where you have a good sized company that has multiple operations that are involved with different kinds of businesses or have different locations, and each of them are separated into separate entities. They have separate EINs, and so even from an accounting perspective, sometimes what will happen is that one entity will pay the payroll and then will reimburse the respective entities depending upon how that employee is being used proportionally. Like this as an example, let's say you have a regional manager that operates that, you know, multiple locations that are each, you have different entities for that. And then you also have a, maybe a management entity and a billing entity, all these different things. And that regional manager kind of has this cross uh, section of all these things. And so there may be some joint employer aspect to that. And, and another one is where you're also hiring a, I don't, I don't want to misspeak, this may be going into the vertical area, but I think this is in the horizontal area where uh, you're, you're hiring a third party professional employment organization. And usually they are involved with this type of structure as well. I think that's more vertical, but that's fine. Is it more vertical? Okay, well, <laughs> that's a second mistake we've had in this podcast. I can't believe that. It's a good lead-in to vertical. Okay. <laughs> so this one's a little bit more difficult to explain conceptually, but there's an employee and an employer, and it's whether the employer of this employee is an intermediary of another employer. So what you, basically what you just described. Or the PEL? Okay. Yeah, that's a good example of it. I think the one other example that was in this was there's a general contractor and they have a subcontractor and that subcontractor has an employee. The subcontractor and the employee, that's employee-employer relationship. It's still possible, even they call it a subcontractor, to the general contractor, there could be an employment relationship there making that employee an employee of both the subcontractor and the general contractor. Yeah. Which may be, may be scary for some people because if you think about, start thinking about staffing agencies or leasing employees, this is where that comes into play because just uh, from, a, from an example perspective, let's say that I have an employee that I want to, as part of my services to another company, I'm giving them the employee, so to speak, to use for, for what they're doing. The other company may be doing that in order to avoid that employer-employee relationship and all the liability that comes with it, 
but they may not be able to do that. And of course, that this is the whole issue. That's why we're talking about this is that, you know, when you have the Department of Labor interpreting joint employment between two parties, especially in a vertical type of relationship, there may be some parties that didn't think that there were going to be an employer to all of a sudden have that status. You know, if we're going to, if I had to take a guess on the percentage of issues that are going to be vertical and horizontal, it has to be a heavy majority with the vertical. Horizontal, I'm not going to say it's straightforward, but there's less gray area, I guess I should say, than the vertical. Yeah. And then the employers kind of know they, in other words, especially since one of the factors of a horizontal relationship is that there's kind of joint ownership or affiliation between the two entities. So already the there's at least one of the entities that already understand that they're taking on that liability. And so sharing that liability with another related entity that may have common ownership is not necessarily an additional exposure. It's just kind of spread out exposure. So yeah. again, the ramifications aren't, aren't that great either. Yeah. And it's the, just we'll hit horizontal real quick. I mean, it's all about the relation, the relationship between the two quote unquote employers. I mean, the more related they are, the more likely that they're going to be seen as having a joint employment relationship with this one worker. And there's, this has nine factors and we're not going to go through the fact, all nine factors on here, but I mean, that's really what it comes down to is the relationship between the two employers and how significantly those two are connected. I, you know, obviously it's not going to be a surprise if you have two employers and they have and there's no connection between the two that, yeah. I mean, that's not going to be in a joint employment, but if there are overlapping things like the ownership or sharing certain administrative aspects of it, I think it's, it's kind of like what you were mentioning before. Yeah. Then that's going to raise, you know, the question of whether there's a joint employment relationship or not. I'm trying to think like also, I think another example of horizontal employment that might be related. And you tell me, I mean, if this is horizontal or vertical, not that it matters, frankly, from the Department of Labor, this no. is just ways to define joint employment. But if if you have an office with like, this is what a lot of lawyers do this, right? You have a, a group of lawyers that are solo practitioners in an office, but they may share the same secretary or the same front, de- front desk. Yeah. And even though there's no joint ownership, I think that would be considered horizontal, but at the least that would be joint employment and they may share in the cost of, of paying that empl- employee, but they also share in the liability as well. Yeah. I, and I think it would be joint employment. I don't know if the per- if that secretary just worked the standard hours and there was no I mean, it all kind of once we once we determine that there is joint employment, we're going to talk about some sort of violation at that point. If there's no violation, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. Well, there's I shouldn't say that there is an administrative aspect to it on who pay. I guess who's going to pay that person. But in terms of the big issues involving joint employment, it's going to be whether there's some sort of overtime violation or something like that, you know, violate the wage and labor laws, because just a quick example, this person works 25 hours for employer A, 25 hours for employer B. Individually, they're fine, but together that's 50. If they, if they're, you know, work more than 40 in one week, we're talking 10 hours of overtime and that's going to be an issue. That's right. And I I think that's, that kind of sums up what the significance or ramifications of this joint employment status is, is that in theory, one employer may not have full control of what the other employer is dictating for that employee. And using this same example that Matt made, where employer A is doing 25 hours, employer B is doing 25 hours. 
And let's say the understanding is, hey, this employee, we're not going to pay overtime, you know, uh, 40 hours a week. And one employer decides, oh, well, you know, I, I need a couple extra hours without telling the other employer. That other employer, from the Department of Labor's perspective, may be jointly and severally liable for any kind of violations that stem from that kind of overtime violation and assuming that, you know, they don't pay overtime, et cetera. Yeah. And so if if that's the case, the other employer may be kind of blindsided by this kind of liability. Yeah, you know, the employer B might not even know it happened and, and it's something they'd even consent to possibly or like because they're jointly and severally liable, then they might be on the hook for it. Or they might be the ones that have to end up being on the hook for it, I guess I should say. That's right. So I think that's fairly straightforward, even though I just said a couple minutes ago, I'm not going to say it was straightforward. I think it's <laughs> in comparison to the vertical, I think it's it's more clear cut, I should say. So for the vertical, how I think how the Department of Labor defined it is the economic dependence. Think of it as a vertical line. You know, you have employer, you have the intermediary employer, and then you have the employee. If that's like the totem pole. And it really is the degree of, or not the degree, the, the economic dependence of that relationship with the employer and the intermediary employer. And for this, there, of course, is another test. And that's, you know, why does it matter if it's horizontal or vertical? Well, it's it's the way you analyze the the tests here. And so for the vertical, how I saw it was, it's very similar to a independent contractor analysis. It's really this, how much control is involved and a lot of similar factors that have to do with whether the person's an independent contractor or not. That's what's interesting because because it's, they have to determine whether they're an actual employee and, and it's a very similar kind of definition. And, and But that's why it's getting a little more complicated when you have multiple parties involved. And I already mentioned the staff agency and stuff like that. And, and what's interesting about this opinion and the context of this is that, and this maybe get a little too much in the law, I'll try to keep it high level, is that there's been cases kind of back and forth, depending upon where you look at, where you're operating in the country, where they've actually uh, held staff agencies to be liable for certain types of labor law violations, or even like, for example, disability discrimination under the ADA. In Texas, there was a case where they found that the staff agency could be held responsible. Even I'm thinking that we may have covered that. But another aspect that we, we also covered is the liability of a franchisor. And that's something that's been in the news quite a bit is, for example, McDonald's. Is McDonald's corporate also a joint employer with a franchise owner of McDonald's? And so far, the courts have said, no, they're not. There's no joint employer relationship. Whether this opinion changes that or not, but I do know that this is an issue that is being challenged and resolved. And there seems to be this tendency that I'm seeing that, or I should say a good chance that McDonald's as a franchisor may be held as a joint employer with the franchisee, which the ramifications of that is is pretty significant. So I assume McDonald's and other franchisors are going to put up a big fight for this. You know, in terms of this administrator's interpretation that the DOL put out, it doesn't mention franchise or franchisee relationship. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's something that could definitely happen. I mean, I gave this example earlier. So let's say you buy a house. We'll, we'll do a hypothetical for you. you. You buy that mansion you were talking about. Bruce Wayne's mansion? I was going to try to think of a Houston suburb, but I realized I don't know any. So, Oh, River Oaks. River Oaks. Would be what you're looking okay. for. You want to redo your kitchen. So you hire this company to do it. 
and they're the general contractor. They sub out. What kind of cabinets <laughs> am I getting? 100% pure oak, mahogany, mahogany color. Perfect. <laughs> I'm into it now. I, I got you. I'm following you. Brass knobs, all, all the all the nice stuff. Soft opening and closing hinges. So <laughs> you hire this company. They subcontract out parts of the job, like electrical, for example. So let's say the subcontractor has, they, they have their business and they have an employee that shows up. Well, if that employee shows up, like I said, no, at this point, no relation to that general contactor, the company you hired and that employee for the subcontractor, you know, they get trained through the general contractor. They use equipment from the general contractor. There's workers comp insurance on them. Yeah. The general contractor has say over what the employee does. The employee of the sub is going to be considered an employee of the general contractor of the GC too. And there could also be the relationship of an employment relationship between that the GC and the sub, which is kind of you know worst case scenario. That's really worst worst case scenario for this. And that that's scary, right? I mean, from a GC's perspective, when they're out doing their construction work, to be responsible for their subcontractors' employees, you know, is difficult. And so we have a few minutes left, I and mean, we can talk about how, from a contracting perspective, especially when we're talking about vertical joint employment. Because again, horizontal, we're talking about related entities. So there might be some, you know, the, the contracting between there may not be as important uh, unless the related entities are very loosely connected. But either way, let's say there's a joint employer, employment relationship. Contracting between the employers becomes ultra important, especially when it comes, I would say, to the indemnification aspect of it. Yeah. And this gets tricky because oftentimes, as we've talked in the past, identification is nice and all, but it's almost it's sometimes worthless if the other party doesn't have the cash to back it up. And so are, do they have insurance to do that? And, and the question is, is the insurance policy going to actually be triggered for indemnifying for that particular issue? And it can get really complicated, actually. It's not that simple. Even insurance agents have trouble really presenting themselves well, representing their clients, well, I should say, and making sure that these types of instances are covered. Just going back to the four lawyers in an office and you have a shared employee, and, and overtime issues, assuming you even have insurance that covers those kind of issues, whether or not they will actually indemnify an employer for something else that another employer did. That's a different issue. Yeah, and that's important. And I'm going to pull a sentence from this, which I thought from this interpretation that I thought was very interesting. And it kind of just goes to what you're saying. So where, where joint employment exists, one employer may also be larger and more established with a greater ability to implement policy or systemic changes to ensure compliance. Thus, WHD may consider joint employment to achieve statutory coverage, financial recovery, and future compliance, and to hold all responsible parties accountable for their legal obligations. I feel like that. Wow. I mean, that's. It's kind of crazy. I, I think that's a reaction to a lot of a lot of large companies. They contract with small businesses in order to, I mean, let's just speak frankly. I mean, to get around hiring their own employees, and yeah. the DOL and these other agencies want to make sure that, okay, just because you're hiring someone else to do the work for basically a replacement of an employee that you would otherwise have hired if you didn't hire this other company, doesn't mean that you're not going to be responsible. And and there's some. There's some definite reasonable rationale to that. Of course, that doesn't make you know these other companies too happy. Yeah. 
there's more takeaways in this than our normal episodes, I, I think. But uh, we can just link the opinion and you guys can just read it and, and interpret it yourself. <laughs> yeah, to circle back what I, to what I was saying earlier, I mean, this this isn't new law. They're just that's true. They're providing more guidance, which I'm always in favor of. Well, I shouldn't say always. I'm usually in favor of because the more clarification that we have on our end, that's more that we can work with and we have a better idea of what the result's going to be. I, I think you bring a good point because... When the Department of Labor and other agencies do issue opinions like this and interpretations, one could argue, well, they're trying to clarify an ambiguity in, in you know what's going on. And to me, that that may be part of it. But usually, when they when they do come in, is is that it shows that there's a focus on behalf of the department that they're going to be focusing on this issue. Right. And so, you lawyers out there, you employers out there, pay attention because now that we've issued guidance, then you don't really have an excuse anymore. And so, if you get caught in this, then we're going to enforce this fully. <laughs> You're very, it's a, a stern lecture you just gave to all the attorneys out there. <laughs> I know, I felt like I was really talking to the attorneys out there. And if you don't do it, then you won't get your dessert. Yeah, and not to harp on what I said earlier as well, but it's that's why I think this is going to be a big issue moving forward. I mean, this came out, and yep. we talked about, you know, obviously the independent contractor employee thing. They had a, I think there was an interpretation that came out last year. Yeah, there's definitely something, but it and it kind of was another clarification. But yeah, this is this is going to be a big issue, and I. We're gonna, I think we're going to start seeing the government cracking down on this. And plaintiff's lawyers, because now attorneys can, it's more likely that they're going to file suit if they can find another joint employer that may be, like you said, more established and has a, a bigger pocket. Yeah, the ones that need to look out are the, the general contractor in those examples of the vertical employment. I think they're going to be, Yeah, those are most at risk in this. Employees are fine. I think employees may make out great in this. Yeah, good for the employees. Bad for the employers. Very typical. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that is our episode number, what is it again? 250. Two, oh, yeah, 250. <laughs> it's been so long. I don't know if we carried over to 251 on this episode or not. I think we'll be okay. All right. All right. Keep it sound. <laughs> keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.